Well, good morning, everyone. And, uh, it's great to see you, and thank you for allowing me to come back and talk to you a second time. And uh, I trust that, uh, that the things we share will be uh, challenging and helpful. And uh, the Acts 6 uh, scripture reading, uh, we're going to make that as part of the, uh, part of the uh, sermon uh, in a few minutes. Thank you for joining us online, and uh, I appreciate the fact that you would tune in and, and uh, reflect on some of the things that uh, we're going to talk about, uh, talk about this morning. On April 4th, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. died from an assassin's bullet. The assassin's name was James Earl Ray. And part of the untold story is that James Earl Ray fled to Toronto and hid there for over a month. And he managed to get his hands on several passports in Toronto, and one of those passports belonged to a man by the name of Raymond George Sneed, S-N-E-Y-D. And he was a policeman that lived in Scarborough. And with that passport, James Earl Ray fled to London, England. He was arrested in London's Heathrow Airport. And about a year later, he confessed to, confilling, to, to, confessed to murdering Martin Luther King. He died in prison in 1998. Sneed is my mother's maiden name. Raymond George Sneed was my mother's cousin. So I guess I can claim and in a very obscure way that I am connected to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Very obscure. We all know that Martin Luther King was a civil rights leader defending the cause for black Americans. His most famous moment was in August 1963, which, by the way, was the anniversary last week. August 1963, 250,000 strong, peaceful march on Washington, D.C., where he delivered his famous speech, I Have a Dream. And part of that speech goes like this. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? And he talks about police brutality against blacks. He talks about voting rights being denied to black people. And then he says, no, no, we are not satisfied. We will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Let justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. It was a line, it was a statement, a declaration that defined the life and mission of Martin Luther King Jr. Justice for blacks, justice for the oppressed, justice for all who felt the pain of discrimination and prejudice. But the fact is, the line is not original with him. It comes from the Bible. And as a Baptist preacher, he was quoting the ancient Hebrew prophet Amos. 
So if you have a Bible with you, please turn in, turn in your Bible to uh, that famous text in Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Now let me read that text then a little bit of its context. And the thing that you will find surprising here and the thing that has gripped me and is a major point of what I'm trying to talk about this morning is that there is a connection between public worship and care for the poor. Now, I'm suspicious that most of us have not made that connection in the past. Listen to what the feisty old prophet Amos had to say to God's people. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your guitars. Well, harps. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like an ever, like a never-failing stream. Public worship and social justice brought together in one paragraph in our Bibles. Amos is called the prophet of social justice, and throughout his book, he is calling on God's people, calling out God's people for their lack of care for the poor, the marginalized, the ones with no power or voice. Earlier, he writes this. This is what the Lord says. Even for three sins of Israel and for four, I will not relent. They sell, they sell the needy for silver and the innocent for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. Early in the chapter that we just read, he writes, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the courts. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. And our text that we've just read, in which we find that classic statement that Martin Luther King made famous, that text tells us that our public worship is worthless before God unless we are committed to the cause of social justice. Previous verses, devastating. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Woe to you who long... Uh, woe to long why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to be met by a bear, to be met by a bear. It is as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? And so is this a real thing? Is this something that we need to think seriously about and act on in the 21st century church? Is something like this, this text from an obscure prophet in our Old Testament? Is this just something that maybe he's, he's kind of 
alone, maybe with a bit of a bee in his bonnet? Is this something that needs to be part of our world as the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century? And the answer is yes. The call for justice among the people of God in the Old Testament was a huge part of the message of the prophets, not just Amos, all the prophets. Micah, in his famous text in, in, Act, in Micah 6, to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly before God. Jeremiah, last week we saw that, that, the, that, that the way that we develop intimacy with God is through chesed, love, covenantal love, mishpat, justice, and righteousness. Listen to Isaiah. And Isaiah, okay, I'm going to just start reading. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, you need to understand something here. He's not talking to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's talking to the people of God. He's calling them Sodom and Gomorrah. He's the evangelist or revivalist or whoever that you don't invite, and don't invite back the next year because he's offended everybody. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, I hate with all my being. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands and prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Yahweh. Now blood is a double entendre. Blood shed because of how they're treating the poor, the orphan, and the widow, and the blood of the sacrifices that they were bringing in their worship to God. Wash. Make yourselves clean. Take away evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be, be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And by the way, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the people of God. The call for justice was the cornerstone of the prophets. I could give you literally scores of other texts that are similar to this one. But what about others? What about the Psalms? Do the Psalms talk about justice? Psalm 82, Asaph, the psalmist says to the king, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy. What was the king to be all about? What was the one who with ultimate power in the nation to be concerned about? The powerless. The anointed of God. What was his concern to be? I could talk to you about the Old Testament law. Provisions are everywhere for caring for the poor, the orphan, and the widow. Through tithing, Deuteronomy 14. Through gleaning laws, the book of Ruth. Even the sacrificial system. The poor, the orphan, and the widow. The marginalized, the voiceless. The one who brought could, could bring nothing were to participate in the meals of the sacrifices, the barbecues, which most of the sacrifices were. 
What about the wisdom books? Books like the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1. The one who oppresses the poor shows contempt for the maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Later on in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 31 at the beginning, a a, a woman by the name of Lemuel's mother, we don't know who Lemuel is, but Lemuel is a king. We have no idea who he is. But Lemuel's mother talks to him about wisdom and how to do well as a king. This is what she says. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now you might say to me, okay, well this is all Old Testament stuff. What about the New Testament? Is, 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 that, what's, is that the spirit of the New Testament? Well, last week we went to James and James 1, 26, 27. We saw the verse that said, religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is to care for the orphan and widow and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. What about Jesus? Is he concerned about this? Is he concerned about the poor? Listen to a devastating text that has come part, to become part of my thinking in, in the last few months. Matthew writes, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was thirsty, and you gave me uh, nothing. I, I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, stra- or a stranger or needing clothes or sick? in prison and did not help you and he will reply truly I tell you whatever you did not do for one of the least of these the least of these the most vulnerable in the world you did not do for me and they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteousness the righteous to eternal life Jesus is often portrayed as gentle, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, loving children. Let the little ones come to me. Let the little rugrats come as the disciples are pushing them away. But there are times he could take on a very different voice. And he often spoke with this voice of the prophet. My point today is to remind us that as a church, the church today, that Amos, the prophets, the psalmists, the wisdom teachers, the apostle James, other New Testament writers, Jesus, still speak to the church. And the challenge of Amos must be about our public worship and our social justice and how they come together and how that still must be heard. So let's talk about it for a minute. What is this word justice? Often in our English Bibles, you might see it rendered as judgment. The Hebrew word mishpat, you've heard me say this before. We usually think about it as revenge or getting even. I want justice. That's not what the word means. That's so far away from the biblical, biblical idea of what this is. It has everything to do with the powerful ensuring that the powerless are cared for well we need to understand that this concern of the old testament prophets and the new testament is still the concern of the church 
find it fascinating, and here's the text we were going to read earlier in Acts 6. And this text has, uh, I've, I've worked on this text a lot more in the last little while, and, and it's startling in some ways. They're laying down the foundation of the church. The apostles are the foundation of the church. They're gone. We do not have apostles today. They laid down the foundation. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, and they're gone. So they're unique in the world. We don't have apostles today. And as they were laying down the foundation of the church, this is what Luke tells us. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the church was growing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Okay, there was some racial tension here. Because their widows, their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the apostles, what did they do? They gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That was a unique thing for the apostles. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Notice the, care, notice the qualifications. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now what I find fascinating here is that the first leaders appointed by the apostles in the church had one task. Care for the widows. I just find that amazing. Now, what's fascinating is two of those people we know well. Stephen and Philip. And Stephen was a leader in the church who in his proclamation of the gospel died as a martyr. Philip, we know his story well about his evangelistic efforts and, and, and leading an Ethiopian official to faith in Christ through his ability to handle the word of God and especially rendering Isaiah 53. So here were these highly competent, theologically capable, spiritual, godly, leadership men in the church that were appointed and the task that they were to do was to care for the widows. Later on, Paul instructed Timothy to ensure, 1 Timothy 5, that care for the widows was to be a primary responsibility of the church. So yes, here in Canada and Ontario, we have governmental involvement in social care, which is wonderful. We live in an amazing country and province where so many of these things are cared for well. Always can be improved, but cared for well. But my point that I'm making here is that the church is not exempt from ensuring that the vulnerable among us are being cared for. So we saw, the, we saw the meaning of the word justice a little bit. We saw the notion of the importance of this kind of thing in the church. But we're also supposed to be involved in, in social justice and caring for the, for the poor and, and, and the marginalized, the voiceless, the powerless in the world. Paul in Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Of course, we care for our own, but we are to care for all as best as we can. Do good to all people. Now, I think it's, we, it's fair to say that evangelical Christianity has done well in this area. We can always do better, but I think we can say we do well. Christian churches, Christian relief agencies are often on the ground 
ahead of governmental agencies in places of floods and hurricanes and earthquakes. We have organizations like Compassion Canada and Samaritan's Purse and Project Christmas Child and World Vision. And in our own community, and as I've talked to several of you now, I'm mentioning two that I'm familiar with that I'm kind of involved in, but there are dozens others that others, others of you are involved in. But, but in our own community, you have wonderful organizations like Ray of Hope and, and uh, Christian Horizons. And I know that, that you're involved in those organizations here. And so I know that Woodside has deep connections with many social agencies. And I just encourage you as a church to continue and even intensify that connection and perhaps even explore others that you can get involved in. So as we wrap this up, what are some practical ways that we can do justice? And I would suggest that, and I saw a note about small groups. I don't know what your small groups are looking like now uh, for the next few months, but I would encourage the small groups to think about this. What is social justice and how can we be involved in doing more in this area? First thing I would suggest is that we need to confront any kind of injustice, including all forms of racism and prejudicial discrimination. Let me say that again. We need to confront any kind of injustice, including all forms of racism and prejudicial discrimination. When I was a student back in university in the, in the 70s, I was part of the uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship group. And uh, by the way, it was my spiritual lifeline while, my, while I was a student at, at University of Guelph. And I remember as an executive gathering for prayer, and I remember that we regularly prayed this prayer. Dear God, bring the nations to our doorstep. Dear God, bring the nations to our doorstep. And the thing is, he has. He has brought the nations to our doorstep. And we have become one of the most cult- multicultural and multiracial nations in the world. And here's the painful part. Some of us are not doing well with this reality. I have to confess that I struggle. When I go back to the place in Etobicoke and Rexdale where I grew up, it is nothing like the quiet rural Smithfield in Thistletown that I knew. And I find myself having to remind myself of that prayer. And thank God that we can actually reach the world for Christ in our own backyard. Amos' call to social justice starts with complete abandonment of any kind of racial prejudice. The church is to be composed of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation around the world. And not just in the future, in some kind, in, in, in the new heavens and new earth, which, which we're all looking forward to, and we know that's going to happen. And, and that choir is going to be an international choir with all kinds of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Who knows what we're, how we're going to be singing together as that choir. But it's not just a future reality. It is the kingdom of God now. Not just the future, but it is to be the present. It's not just over there somewhere, but it is to be here. But we can also speak to prejudicial discrimination in all kinds of other areas, not just racial. 
We can think of gender, age, ability or disability, social status, education, marital status, and the whole issue of sexu- uh, 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 whole huge issue of sexuality. And yes, don't get me wrong, we maintain our standards of biblical morality. Absolutely. The prophet's call is for justice and righteousness. But we live in a broken and fallen world that needs to hear the voices of redemption and reconciliation from this thing called the church. So what are some practical ways that we can do justice? Well, first I would suggest we need to be confronting all forms of prejudice both inside and outside the church. And I've just talked about that. We need to have resources available in our church to meet immediate social needs. And I know you do this kind of thing. Food cupboards, wheelchair accesses, access to entrances and washrooms, parking places marked for the disabled, special care for the elderly, caring for those with hearing and sight loss, budget allocations for social justice ministries. And it's good to hear that that some of your uh, finances were allocated to, to, to refugee issues. And, and thank God for that. You are to be honored for that. We need to also uh, participate and support Christian organizations and mission agencies who have justice and social concern as a crucial part of reaching the world for Christ. I've already talked about Ray of Hope and Christian Horizons. And uh, it's interesting, after the service, earlier service outside, a number of folks came to me and talked about the things that they were involved in and that this church is involved in. Often agencies like this are the hands and feet of the church. And I think we need to embrace that. We can't always do it ourselves. And so have these kind of agencies is a good thing. The other thing I think we need to think broadly about what social justice looks like. Yes, it may mean feeding the poor, clothing the poor, it may mean that. But it can, go, it can go way beyond that. Social justice can, can, incur, can involve education, training and job skills, writing a resume, medical help and support, especially for mental well-being and care, legal help, financial planning help, counseling, providing safe space for young offenders, refugee care, Care for special needs, people, children and adults. And I encourage you as a church to constantly explore and expand the kind of impact that Amos the feisty feisty prophet would smile at. We need to speak and act for justice as the church. We need to explore ways to do that. We need to speak into the political realm, into the economic realm, the environment, social agencies, medical care, Yes, we need to invade and talk about abortion, assisted death. We even need to talk about social justice in the domains of sport and recreation and the arts. So we need to speak and act and and explore ways to do that. Then lastly, I think we need to make sure that our leaders and people with power in our congregations understand that their calling is to protect those with no power and who are on the margins of the community. It is so easy for the powerful to cater to the powerful, to the wealthy, to the strong. And I go back to Stephen and Philip, prominent leaders, 
one of whom died for the cause, well-known for their ability to proclaim the gospel, maintain theological orthodoxy, evangelize the lost. Assignment? Care for the widows. And I hear Lemuel's mother, again, speaking to her son, the king. So what is our encounter with God through all of this? Martin Luther King died from an assassin's bullet in the cause of justice for blacks and all oppressed and marginalized people. Let justice roll down like the waters. Righteousness like an ever-flowing stream was the call of the movement. But it was more than the call of a man like Martin Luther King Jr. It was the call of the prophet Amos and all the prophets of the Old Testament. It was the call of the psalmist. It was the call of the wisdom teachers. It was, it was the call of the lawgivers of the Old Testament. It was the call of James and Paul and Luke and Matthew and Jesus in the New Testament. And the most powerful point in all of this, in our encounter with God, is this mind-blowing, earth-stopping connection between public worship and social justice. And I read to you two devastating texts. One from Amos and one from Isaiah. And I find this to be one of the most terrifying realities of this whole conversation. And a reminder of how serious this is. But Jesus, what about Jesus? How does he help us in in this encounter with God? Is he part of all of this? Listen to Matthew. Aware of this, that is the plot to kill Jesus, Jesus withdrew from that place and many followed him and he healed their sick, warning them to not tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one, whom I, the one I love, the one in whom I delight. And that servant that Isaiah prophesied was fulfilled ultimately in Christ. And God is saying, here is my servant, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations, and, 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 he, and he will not quarrel or cry out, and, and no one will hear his voice, in, in other words, in the streets, he's not going to be shrill. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not puff out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus, driven by justice, reveals the God who is also driven by justice. What's the good news here? Friends, this is amazing good news at two levels. First of all, he cares about the whole person. He he cares about the physical, the emotional, the mental, the relational, and the spiritual And he cares about all people, poor and rich, from anywhere in the world, and everybody in between. We are a part of a faith and a mission in the world that we invite people to, which is centered on this God revealed in this person named Jesus of Nazareth. This is is an amazing, 
way of thinking about the gospel. What's the worldview shift? How do we think differently about this? Well, I, I don't know. How many of us actually kind of knew that God's acceptance of our public worship hangs off our commitment to let justice roll down like the mighty waters and righteousness like an everlasting stream? How many of us actually made that connection? I know I didn't. This is a huge world sh- worldview shift for me to try and think this thing through. So our response I don't know what this means for you and even for this church. Dan knew I was going to speak on this. He took a Hebrew exegesis course with me in the book of Amos, so he knew what I was going to say. But I know what it means for me. And even now, my wife and I are taking further steps to try and respond well to what Amos is saying in this, in this text. And I guess I say let's all of us, by the power of the Spirit, seek the face of God and see what kind of response is appropriate. Whether to initiate action, continue with present action, adjust or adapt or intensify action already in place. And let's let the power of the Word and the prompting of the Spirit do their work so that truly our worship of God and music and Scripture and reading and prayer and Eucharist and testimony and preaching is received by a God of justice who is worthy of all praise and adoration. God bless you all.